0: All right, everybody, welcome back to the Crypto 101 podcast. I am your host, Bryce Paul, and I'm joined, as always, by my notorious compadre, my best friend, Mr. Aaron Pizza Mind Malone. Aaron, how goes it, sir? I'm doing
1: pretty well, actually. Uh, I've had a lot of sleepless nights the past couple weeks, uh, lots like of I ideas bouncing around my head, but uh, things are starting to settle down. I think the solar flares are relaxing or something. I don't know. <laughs> You've missed some wackiness over here, but things are starting to turn to the upside. I was going to say I've been having
0: some sleepless nights, but for good reasons. I'm I'm like starting to actually stay up late and check price charts again. Now I'm getting, Mm. you know, instead of for the past eighteen months, you check a price chart and you just feel oh, more down, more down. I mean, bear markets are really they grind you, and you just have to stay positive, right? You just have to look at the future, the outlook the positivity uh, for the long term and say, you know, we're, we're here, we're building. But when you look at the price charts, things, you know, bad price, right? Nobody likes it. But for the past week, maybe two weeks, I've been looking at price charts and being excited uh, for the first time in a long time. Uh, a couple of coins are up 100, 200, 300% in a short amount of time. So uh, as one of the old market sayings uh, says, uh, so goes January, so goes the rest of the year. Um, and so if we're going to have a positive January, uh, we might have a positive year in the markets. Uh, contrary to popular belief, everybody's screaming like a chicken with their head cut off that we're going into a recession, which we might very well be going into a recession, but markets typically rally uh, first. Uh, you know, The economy goes into a recession. Market prices can still stay buoyed. Um, and so I'm not, I'm not entirely bearish on markets. It's also very rare. I think it's actually never happened that Bitcoin has had two back-to-back negative years. So if we extrapolate that out, like, hey, it's never happened in the past, and less likely to happen now. So
1: we had a bad hey, year. Uh, yeah. What, do you, what? You know what else is up 200 300%? That's developer activity in this space. Yeah,
0: very so true. So
1: while prices are down, growth in this space is actually booming larger than ever. And yeah. while... The politicians are you know, wondering whether to use the R word. Uh, by the time they actually do admit that we're in a recession, we're already on our way out of it. Uh, the rest of us who've actually left our house the past year have known that we're in a recession. So by the time they finally admit it, it's just about over, uh, and it's time to start moving our money out of alcohol and drugs and back into <laughs> investment-grade uh, activities and hobbies. So... With that said, you know we've got to have a, a really bright future ahead of us, especially this year, uh, if, if January is any indicator of what's to come.
0: Yeah. Um, last thing I'll say, I just want to get, uh, before we bring on our guest, I kind of want to anchor everybody's expectations for uh, a really strong pivot point, I think, in the market, which will be the Ethereum Shanghai upgrade. Um, and this is the next step in Ethereum 2.0, right? We had the merge... Uh, which you know w- was a really really big event. Prices kind of cratered after that. Uh, but the Shanghai upgrade is happening. It's going to be the biggest upgrade. It's going to allow for people to you know withdraw their Ethereum from their validator nodes, and it's going to have uh, a lot of implications for the market. So my bold prediction uh, for for the first quarter is that we're going to rally for the first three months straight into the Shanghai upgrade, which is slated for about March or April. Although knowing the Ethereum Foundation, it could be next March or April, uh, as they tend to push things back. But uh, then things might cool down. But anyhow, so mark your calendars for the Shanghai upgrade. If you've never heard of it, do some Google research on it because it could have uh, some broad implications for the market. But without further ado, let's bring on a founder. Let's bring on a builder, uh, a real OG in the space, the founder of Kive. right? Kive is a big network. Uh, Also the founder of AR Verify, which uh, is built on the Arweave Network, so we're going to talk to uh, talk about our as well a little bit. But Fabian uh, Rue, I think I said that right. Please correct me for my German audience. Uh, Fabian, how are you doing?
2: Hey, thank you. I'm I'm doing great. Thank you for for having me. Uh, you might need to ramp up a bit on the pronunciation, but we're we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. Can you please
0: <laughs> can you please correct it just so that no, the, the audience
2: <laughs> it's Riva. If you want to be very German, Riva. But- yours is absolutely fine as well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, well, man, this is, this is great. I'm excited to dive in, uh, before we, you know, go into, you know, kind of the technicals and the the aspects of Kive that make it special. Let's just get acquainted here with our audience. Who, who are you? How did you find yourself building here in the crypto space?
2: Yeah. Um, well, I am a software developer. And so that's, that's, that's how I got in the space. Um, actually, so I got in the crypto space in 2019, it's kind of like in the last. It's crazy to say now because I've been through one cycle, but kind of like at the end of the last uh, builder cycle, if you wanna, if you wanna frame it like that. Yeah. And yeah, I was a software developer, and I got into space um, by working on on a project which is from the SAP. it's like a big German software development company called the CLA Assistant. It's like used by big companies to store signatures and stuff like this. And I was, um, I had the idea well we could store signatures and stuff on the blockchain. Because um, that's where they belong, right? You can't change them and stuff. Um, and then from there on, went down the, the crypto rabbit hole, uh, went full-time in this space in 2020. Um, and then, yeah, created Kaif in early 2021. Um, and now it's two years almost since then, which is crazy because time absolutely flies by. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of like some some background about, about myself.
1: Awesome. Well, welcome. Uh, you, now that you've gone here one full market cycle, you had a gold star for not <laughs> rugging anyone. We thank you. You pass. <laughs> yeah, you passed the test. Uh, you got some battle scars, one or two, I'm sure. Um, what was the big idea about Kive that you didn't see being built elsewhere, or what is the problem trying to solve specifically?
2: Yeah, so Kive actually came, like, started out as a bounty. So it was the co the founder of Kive, John. Um, and I, we were browsing through Gitcoin one day, um, which for the audience here, it's kind of like a website where projects can put up grants for developers um, of like tasks they want to see built out. And this one was a combination from Parity, the development company by Polkadot um, and Arweave. And they said, hey, we want to store the data from Polkadot on Arweave. Um, and th- we thought, hey, that gets like a cool weekend project. Let's do this. And once we have built a solution for them, John and I were like, oh, actually like this is, kind of like solving something bigger than just like archiving data from Polkadot on our weave. Because actually um, a lot of projects back then had a lot of scalability problems or still have, right, with data and, and how that works. But I'm also like happy to like, maybe dive a bit deeper into that later. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there on, we immediately kind of like onboarded all the other big blockchains and uh, it just snowballed into a bigger <laughs> team and everything. And now we're here, we have the mainnet launch coming up very soon. So it's like super, super, super exciting. Uh, what kind of like happened in between there.
0: So so it's almost like, so there, there's this app over here in the States. It's called TaskRabbit. Um, I'm not sure if you've heard of it or Fiverr um, where you could basically say, hey, I need a task done. And then somebody could kind of bid on that task and you bring them over. So it sounds like that's kind of what happened to you, but like a TaskRabbit for software development. You found this thing that needed to be fixed. Uh, the guy who needed it to be fixed, uh, you know, found you and you connected. And then he's like, holy crap, you did a great job. Let's keep building um, and the next thing you know, uh, you had a really f- a full time job there building Kive Network, um, and, and you know, Kive is short for archive, right? So archive, you know, keeping things alive for a long time, making sure they stay in pristine condition. Um, I remember you know one time going to see a big film archive, and it was in temperature controlled, high security. Um, I mean, you would think these people are crazy for the lengths they go
2: to to preserve film. Uh, yeah. What is kive? Yeah, it is almost exactly this, but basically apply it to kind of like the software world, right um so I mean we we live in the blockchain space where blockchains are basically built to give like end users like first of all like a user owned web but also a highly secure web, right? Like where you know that everything that happens on the blockchain is secure. And basically you start introducing insecurity the moment you bridge data from one blockchain to another, because then like one person or one company has to like download the data from one chain, upload it to the other chain. And basically while he's uploading it to the other chain, he could modify it, right? Think of it as if you would be a company and you have like financial records and you just give it to someone and say, yeah, just... I'll trust you, like load all the stuff into a semi-truck and drive it over and it will be all right. But you can just never know, right? Like what happens if some important document would get lost or like even worse, like someone would have some incentive to like modify your finan- financial statements incorrectly. Right. And This is something that cannot happen in the blockchain space. And kaive is there to prevent this. So what kaive actually is, is you can think of it as like a validation layer. And basically, we are like the Task Rabbit or the Fiverr for other people. So basically, we offer like this archiving or like storage bridging service um, that then basically ensures that the data that gets relayed from like one data source to another is like a hundred percent correct, and you can like safely recover from the archive, or you can safely use the data on a different chain, etc., um, etc. Cetera, et cetera. So now we kind of like saying we we are building a decentralized data lake, and you can really think of this right—a huge lake just there with data. It's fully decentralized and it's correct data. That is the important thing. And so from there, developers basically from all the blockchain ecosystems and, and normal companies, normal companies, Web2 companies, right? And they start and like, you know, like utilize that data and use it in their system
1: knowing that it's 100% correct. Wow, that's really cool. I could see an amazing use case for that over in the decentralized science niche where they've got sensitive data and experimentation that absolutely can't change. And to have kind of a digital armored truck, if you will, carry it from Filecoin to Arweave and all these other storage systems to make sure it can never be changed or corrupted, uh, never, most importantly, be forgotten. I think that's an amazing thing that I never even thought was necessary until you explained it this way. So what was it that inspired this type of thing? Like, what was the scenario that you were looking at? You're like, I need to make sure, like, this particular piece of data can never be lost. Is there a story behind this? Um, well, that is a good question. I don't think there is a particular like story
2: behind kind of like Kyve. It wasn't like a, a vision I had. It was more kind of like this working with data in the blockchain space and then just getting my experience and like realizing like, oh wow, like we have some big flaws, you know, like in that system, some data is, is incorrect. And then because we kind of like build Kyvest as this, well, Polkadot to we thing, And then we realized, oh wow, like Kaif would be applicable here and actually we need the armor truck there and there and there and there and there. And so this kind of like just how like, it ramped up and how we started to, uh, we like to say, like generalized Kive to kind of like, you know, like fit every ca- type of like requirement for data transportation, so to say, um, that you would have. Like another cool use case we have, for example, is um, like weather data. And there's like a fund that works with weather data all over the world and they kind of like want to publicize the data and want to say, hey, we want this Data to be like in the open domain, you know, like a public good. And that's also something Kype is doing, right? By taking it, storing it decentralized, making it like ownershipless and saying, well, everyone can use this data for free. That's like some use cases we got, some other cool, like hands on use cases, sports betting data, right? Like mm-hmm. if there's a tennis match which has nothing to do with crypto, who confirms me on the sports betting website that's actually the result that happened on the tennis match is actually correct and that not someone tried to modify it to win his bets. Right? Which is all exploits we do see happening um, all the time and it's all use cases um, for Kaif.
3: Hey guys, TiVo here to tell you about the Ufi Video Lock. A smart lock, a 2K camera and a doorbell all in one. That's EUFY Video Lock, or visit UFEOfficial.com slash Video Lock. Again, that's EUFY Video Lock. Ufi Video Lock. Get complete control over your front door.
0: Yeah, there's lots of different spoofing that happens um, all over the world, and in literally every different industry. And uh, if, if you're connected to the internet, you could spoof your GPS, right? You could spoof your IP. Um, you could, you know, download files and tamper with them, re-upload them, and say that. So, so Kive is kind of this whole blockchain layer that just proves that data that applications are interacting with just hasn't been tampered with, right? If you have that Kive stamp of approval, you could trust that, you know, this data is is
2: pure. Is that kind of what I'm hearing? Exactly. Or one even cooler thing is you can even do transformations to the data with consensus, Mm -hmm. you know? So this is where it gets even more tricky, right? Like if I tell you like, hey, here's my financial data, please like consolidate this into a yearly report and then save this. It's even harder for me manually, you know, to tell you do the work and then I would have to manually check it if you would have done it correctly. You know, it's easier for you to modify it, to make mistakes. This is even something that Kaif offers, you know, like this kind of like transformation at scale as well to also say, well, here's the raw data. Here is our transformation. Now that we do the transformation, correct. Yes or no. Um, And, And you
0: could prove that kind of through, you know, matching up the hashes.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Actually, it's completely up to kind of like your use cases. Um, so for example, if you work with like pricing data, right, you might want to check, oh, was the price from Coinbase the same that I get on Binance or is the difference just very small and that's still okay for me, right? Mm. If you work with, let's say, financial records, you want to check, oh, does my financial record equal the other ones. So that's where you would use a hash, right? Does the hash of the other one equal the other one, like tons of kind of like ways on how you would validate that the data you're working with is, is correct. And it's very like kind of like a subjective goal as well, right?
0: Yeah. So so I'm going to play just a quick devil's advocate sort of game yeah. here. Um because, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, if they're technical, you know, they hear this and they're like, "Yeah, I get it, right? We have to have authenticated data sets. The blockchain is going to be a huge piece of the future, um regardless of what industry. If you're in securities, right? You know, you're going to have securities that are on the blockchain tokenized, freely tradable with, you know, that ultimate beneficial owner kind of tagged to that asset transparently, right? So that that's super cool. But people are like, we don't need a cryptocurrency attached to every blockchain because we're going to have these private enterprises like Amazon or Apple and they're going to have their own little sanctioned blockchains and, and there's not going to be a need for cryptocurrency. But I think, um and correct me if I'm wrong, Kive uh, does come with a cryptocurrency kind of on the blockchain. And, and then people are like, well, how does data archiving and cryptocurrency, how do they match? Like why is one uh, kind of intertwined with the other.
2: Yeah, that is that is a very cool question because I it's like my big thesis for me like someone who termed the word cryptocurrency did kind of like a mistake in the early days, and you know, because there was a currency, right. you know, like you you bought something with it. But I think now, especially after like the DeFi wave, um, the, the cryptocurrencies kind of turned more into like crypto assets, mm-hmm. almost right. Mm-hmm. And This is where kind of like we use our token for. So we are a proof of stake system. Meaning that the nodes, so actually the people that relay your data, they have their cryptocurrency, the kife token staked, and in case someone else finds a mistake in their work, they receive a slash for that, meaning that let's say they stake hundred thousand dollars and if they make a mistake, they lose ten percent of that, right so they are always incentivized to do the right the right work because otherwise they lose the money that's put behind it. On the other side, for every correct job they do, they also receive the CAIF tokens as a reward. Right, So, they so it's purely
0: like right uh, just, it's like an incentive kind of purely. It's not really like a transactional thing. It's just to make sure everybody's incentives are aligned.
2: Exactly. Exactly. And now kind of like the cool thing is, is we call them storage pools. So storage pools is this kind of like cage in which the like the which you define on how you store the data, and they require funding. So anyone can contribute a funding in Kive tokens, and then the Kive tokens get paid out to the people that relay the data and pay in, pay like the dollar cost for the storage. So they get like compensated for this in Kive. So they can use the Kive to increase their stake to get more Kive, you know, or they can trade it on the market. So this is kind of like the incentive. There, it's kind of like the yeah the proof of stake behind or the stake, so to say,
1: behind the work that they they do. Awesome. So you started as basically a smart contract on top of Arweave, but now through a long journey, you've wound up as your own layer one connected to the Cosmos ecosystem. What was it about Cosmos that you wanted to be connected there when you had already started working with Parity and Polkadot to begin with? What was (laughs) more attractive about Cosmos versus Polkadot at the time? Yeah, what a what a journey. Um,
2: so yeah, we were based as you said fully Arweave based, and then we noticed well, Arweave smart contracts at the time they weren't as production ready. They had scalability problems, so we switched to an EVM contract. Right, makes sense from like one smart contract to the other to a normal solidity contract. And then we also realized over time actually, ah, smart contracts not what we are looking for because what is happening is you know every time you do a transaction when you interact with Kaif and on EVM, so on all Ethereum based blockchains right? You have to share. There's only like a certain amount of transactions that you can parse per block and you have to pay per transaction. And the cool thing about Uniswap is if you make like a 10K profit on DeFi, you are happy to pay $100 in gas for that, right? Like who cares? I made like 9K profit on that. But for a Kive transaction, not every transaction might be worth $100 to pay for, right? So there was always this conflict we would have on sharing the transaction in block space with other applications. And so it was exactly a year ago in February And we were looking for, oh, we should like look into uh, like an app-specific chain. And so we had the big decision between Polkadot uh, and Cosmos. And this was also the time when the first um, parachain auctions began. So for the people unfamiliar on how Polkadot works, it's basically on Polkadot, you can have your own little sub-chain. It's called a parachain. And you develop this and then your parachain runs and the parachain is secured by the cryptocurrency of Polkadot. Sounds a bit complex. Actually, it really isn't that complex, but just everything sounds super complicated in the, in the crypto space. But basically, well, at this point, we we're like, hmm, okay, should we do this? But in order to become a parachain, you have to apply to get a slot. There are only 256 slots available, if I'm correct. And back then, it cost a shit ton of money to get a block. It was in the bull market uh, to get a slot. It was in the bull market, and it was like $30 million for Moonbeam or something. We were like, holy shit. How are we supposed to pay for that? And this is only a right. two-year reservation for that slot. We were like, "Wow!" Like, so we asked the parody guys, "Like, hey, what?" And actually a lot happens- of this,
0: uh, yeah. just to interrupt, a lot of that was really underpinning the value of the DOT token because people yeah. needed to buy the DOT token in order to contribute to this parachain uh, auction, and it was only done in DOT. So the price of DOT was going up, and you know all this stuff. And so it was, it was a kind of a clever mechanism. Uh, by the parody and the polka dot guys because they had a scarcity of slots, right? 256, yes. everybody was building apps in the bull market. It was just a self-fulfilling prophecy, really. Um, but Excuse then you me. realize like, you, like most of the people, that was kind of unattainable unless you had a huge marketing arm and really deep investor pockets.
2: Yeah, exactly. So this was kind of like the problem. And then we asked the parody team like, hey guys, what actually happens if after two years we can't afford... A parachain slot, and they're like, "Oh yeah, no worries. You're gonna be a para threat." And we're like, "Oh, what's what's that?" And they're like, "Oh, basically, it's like a parachain, but you share the block space with all the other para threats. And We're like, "Ah, yikes! Yeah, That's exactly what you know what we wanted to avoid." coming from where well, we have to share boxes with others. So this is kind of like... What and we that bent. would
0: basically limit the amount of data you could process, limit the throughput. Things would be getting throttled because it's like, well, you're exactly. not in the HOV lane, you're kind of in the traffic lane.
2: Exactly, exactly. So then we were like, oh, okay, um, we should look into Cosmos. Also given Cosmos is way easier to code <laughs> from a pure yeah. development perspective than, than the the pocket of things. Um, but yeah, no, so this is kind of like how we landed in the Cosmos ecosystem. It was... Super new at that point. Um, I don't think there was any other chain out there beside the Cosmos hub and maybe like the, I think BSC, like the beacon chain was Cosmos or something like that. And like CryptoCom, I think had a had a chain. Like IBC wasn't really a big thing. Osmosis was like, I don't even know if if Osmosis was launched a year ago from now. It, yeah, I don't, I don't think know. it I was. Have it up. Um, and so, yeah, we, we placed our bets and we said, well, let's develop something uh, in that space. And so far, they turn out to be to be a good choice. Um, things and, like and you know, you're
0: not the only uh, project that we've heard that same story from. You know, on the show, uh, as well as just through you know Twitter and and media and stuff. You know, I, I saw Robert Leshner um, a few months ago. He was like, "Yeah, we made a mistake by launching Compound on Polkadot. Uh, mm-hmm. We should have done it on Cosmos." And he like pretty much said that verbatim. And so I think yeah. it's a shared sentiment. And for for any people who are out there. Thinking about you know developing your own application or you know trading the markets or whatever you know it, it, when you see that kind of transition and that exit from one platform to another it's definitely worth paying attention to but uh kind of moving beyond that I mean onto the really exciting stuff the money right you guys just raised nine million bucks tell us about tell us about that experience as a founder you know how'd you jimmy up the money uh, what was the idea. Who participated? Uh, what are you going to do with the money? All that stuff.
2: Yeah, uh, great question. So <laughs> fundraising as a, as a first, it was, it was my first fundraise and it was a mind-blowing time because we had three investment rounds, um, two happened in the bull market and it was just, it felt like people were just throwing money at you, right? And like amounts of money that kind of like you have never like been in touch with and it was just, it was, it was insane, right? Um, in, in investors, we, um, uh, we had some very good advice from our lead investors. So we stayed, we kept it very technical We had a lot of projects invested in us and angels. Um, we have, uh, we have basically every, every major L1, uh, kind of like invested in us. Um, same with kind of like, or, and some founders, um, in, in addition to that. Um, and then the third round, this was the 9 million round happened in, um, yeah, like March, April, May time last year when like mark, market began like to fumble a bit and suddenly like everyone who had like the big pockets got super quiet and we we're like, oh, this is a different, like we're entering a different time now, right?
0: Yeah, you could you can um, kind yeah. of hit, feel that the air got sucked out of the room pretty quickly. Yeah,
2: it was suddenly, it was like, oh, we had like commitments of like this amount of money and next day, like, sorry, we can't do this. Like, ha, you guys must still have the money, right? Like you committed this, like where, what's, what's the problem, right? Um, which... Personally, I'm still like, I'm not a VC and I'm still super interested by that mechanic because for me personally, it's like, you always have investor lockups, right? Like that's the most normal thing. Every project out there has it. And it's typically like three, four years, right? And I never got kind of like the FOMO of like, why you would invest at high valuations in a bull market when you can't exit your shares because you are locked up for like three, four years when everyone knows after the bull market comes a bear market. So all the unlocks happen in the bear market. And basically for me, the theory now is kind of like a better time to invest because you invest now, you can be way more hands-on with the projects because they are not getting like basically flooded with requests all the time. You can be much more hands-on. You have lower valuations, which should give you like a better price to invest in. And then you have your unlocks happening while you're hitting the bull market. So while you're hitting, you know, like a high high interest, high traction market. So I'm not a VC. I'm I'm a, I'm a dev guy. (laughs) Fabian,
0: if 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 people, if people thought as rationally as you, we would not have markets. (laughs) That's, that's (laughs) beauty of it. That people, you know, people respond to their emotion. Uh, they don't think
1: the VCs were thinking of two things because they're not logical people. They're sharks. (laughs) One, they were thinking that if they wait till the very bottom of the bear market, they can get a better valuation and a better deal. And the second thing is they wanted to figure out when the bottom was going to come so they could budget out for the next few years. Yeah. Um, so while they were definitely scared over the summer, um, a lot of it was really just repositioning. And I do think there was a lot of VCs that didn't cash out from their last round at the top of this last. Bull market. Everyone thought Bitcoin was going to 180,000, 250,000, 500,000. We saw all kinds of wild things all over the board from some of the smartest people in the space, and the market ticked. You know, really, it topped out in March of 2021. Not even at the end of it. Everyone was expecting one more blow off, but uh, the entire world economy had this big downturn. A lot of people were caught offside, maybe with not as much free capital as they expected to have. Yeah. So I think it was a combination of all that stuff. But to raise nine million last summer is an unbelievably amazing achievement. So for all the hardship that you went through, like you are at the all-star list of raising <laughs> money last year. So congratulations! And you know, at the top of this call, we talked about measuring success in other metrics besides just price appreciation. And Kive was able to do much more than just raise money last summer and last year. You guys were up 300% on Twitter, uh, like 30% on Telegram, 24% in engagement rates, if I got this right, 300% growth on YouTube, and almost 700% growth on Discord. That's a phenomenal year for any company. So what is your secret to growing in a bear market that you can share with us and other founders listening? The these
2: like like this is all of course, you know, like to the team, like all the all the kudos there for, for all these numbers everywhere. Um, I think what drove a lot of these numbers was our incentivized test net, um, which was an absurd amount of work, but absolutely paid off. Um, so for the for the people listening who don't know what an incentivized test net is, it's basically you say, Hey, this is what the product would look like, um, but we need people, you know, to test it, to play around with it. And so basically we had like a leader board system in like three types so you could do engineering tasks you could do community tasks or you could do uh, social tasks um, and so you would do like little tasks here and there and you would earn points for that and the points would rank you on the leaderboard the leaderboard gave you like different uh different kind of like token allocations for the mainnet which is yeah going to happen uh in in soon um and so uh yeah exactly that's is kind of like what drove a lot of engagement there which was great for us cuz with a lot of people getting into the community and, and staying. Um we are very I would say what's special to our team is also we're a very young team. Um like we're all like twenties um to very, very, very early thirties. Um so we're all young, we kind of have the dynamics uh, on uh, on that side. And we are all very true to the Web3 like ethos of true decentralization and everything, you know, I think every one of us that we saw a lot of like money grabbing happening, especially in the bull market, you know, everyone's kind of like getting, getting uh, as much as they can. A lot of people, and I know this, you know, like sacrificing like user security, overgrowth, um, security over performance, right? That's what we see now. Like most of the exploits happening right now are like Oracle attacks. But basically like the blockchain is secure, but the way into the blockchain is super, super insecure and things like this. And like we saw like insecure infrastructure being stacked on top of each other. The FTX blow off the same, you know, like pure greed, um, pure mismanagement and things like this. While we had kind of like stayed true to the ethos and say, hey, like we are even a test and already like governance steered fully de- like we tried to optimize for full decentralization at that point, you know, like we thought through okay, like how could this and this affect the thing? And I think this really paid off now, like being a bit slower than, than some other companies, but now kind of like building for sure like a more sustainable base that will now carry us through like a like a, a good looking growth over the next years.
0: Yeah. I mean to to me the I think that's yeah very, very um strong sort of opinion. Um, but I still think over the next two to three years, Web3 has a lot of hurdles, right? And you're Absolutely. developing it. So you you know this well, but way better than I, but I'm I'm more on like kind of the front end and hearing complaints about user applications. And people are like, Bryce, like, we, we, we can't use this stuff yet. It's still years and years out. So I guess my question to you is like, what are some of those barriers to adoption and, and kind of difficulties in getting this technology adopted and, and how do we solve them? How are you solving them?
2: Yeah, I think, well, especially first of all, crypto is super complex and even the use cases are super complex. Like if you think about DeFi, lending, AMMs, you know, that's all like not average Joe mass adoption topics, you know? Yeah, nobody's Yeah,
0: Nobody typically uh, in the mainstream is picking up their phone and, oh, I'm gonna, I'm going to go find some yield today. They're like, I want to yeah. play a crossword puzzle or I want to do social
2: media right and so this is i think first of all like something why, why we haven't seen you know like mass adoption that i would personally think that everyone who who's kind of like an expert in these niches knows about crypto you know i think everyone in, in investment banking and stuff they all know about crypto if they've interacted with it i i wouldn't think so but they all you know they all work with it etc same with the devs. i think every dev we were at web summit in lisbon like everyone knew about blockchains and what they were and some just had everyday jobs, so they hadn't had the time, you know, to, to look into it. But I think in general, like usability is something we, we are lacking a lot. You know, like my favorite example is always Uber, you know, I'm all in the street, I'm clicking one button and I have a car coming in five minutes, you know, and that's just something given that like crypto use case right now are still so complex. It's nothing you can do, nor is it something that we kind of like care about what the infrastructure looks like, you know, like what you care about, even, even me as a deaf person, I click a button. And the car is there. I don't care. It's like, oh, are they using a queuing system? Or oh, are they using this database? Or oh, are they using like, you know, NoSQL or SQL, whatever. Well, in a blockchain space, everything is still boiled down to technology.
3: Like, yeah. oh, yeah. Yeah, I devs use, don't. Like,
2: yeah. This dex because it has this underlying technology and so on and so on. I think this kind of needs to be like abstracted away in order yeah. to make it more attractive.
1: I remember the early days of Linux and using a distribution called Slackware. It would literally take you like three days to set up because you had to choose all these different options and go through a config file. And then fast forward a couple of years and something called Ubuntu comes out and it was easy as installing windows, three clicks and boom, you're done. And you have a graphical interface, a graphical yeah. interface used to take like a day just to set up in Linux. Uh, absolutely ridiculous to think about where we came from. And I think web three is going to have much the same kind of user experience where, Eventually, you're not even going to know you're using it. It's just going to work really, really nicely under the hood. And anyone who wants to know how it works under the hood will actually have full access to it. Yeah, and, and all, like, also like the end user really, to be honest, like he really
2: doesn't care what the underlying tech stack looks like, right? I think it's like us like tech, tech geeks that are like interested. in. I mean, I'm personally like super interested in like, I mean, if you think about it, you use any Web2 app. Like how do they do this? You know, how do they manage like this amount of data? I mean, that's also something. I mean, I'm in the data space in crypto, but like the real data scientists, you know, they love about us. They love about us. Like our uh, our advisor, he is uh, he worked at Palantir, um, and he's a data scientist now at Cometeer. I don't know if you guys know the the coffee brand, like this iced coffee thing, super cool stuff. But they have like petabytes of data to work with you know and like <laughs> i can tell you that like moonbeam like the blockchain on polka fully compressed when i was like eight gigabytes or something and it fits on my phone you know like and we have trouble indexing that and it's slow and stuff and so on and so on so there's so much stuff that's like happening in the space to at least align web 3 and web 2 to like one level and then from there on we will see right um so yeah, it's super i don't know like I have some other crazy stories. Like I was once out dinner with like a guy who worked at Amazon S3 and he told me that in peak times, um, they had like, I don't know, like 10 million requests per second. You know, I was like, wow. how do you guys oh handle that? We have sometimes like a hundred requests per second or like a thousand. We're like, oh, this is like some load on our surface. But I have like 10 million requests per second. Like, how do they do this? You know, and this is web two and not web three. So yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. So, so there, there's a lot of ground to go. Um, still a lot, a lot of work to do, but we're Absolutely. glad that you we have guys like you and the team uh, building the future of not only finance but the future of just online activity, right? And uh, transacting in a more secure way, transacting in a way that has um you know better dependability over time. But you're right, we got to get the scalability up. But before we let you go, uh, we, we do have a couple closing questions that we kind of like to get uh get in with everybody uh i'm curious just about other people you look up to in the crypto space who who really impresses you you could tell us a team name you could tell us a a, a develop uh, i'm sorry you could tell us a developer or whoever
2: Ooh, that is a that is a good question um <laughs> some i don't know i i would say kind of like all of the the early the early folks in the, in the death space, like if it's a Vitalik or a Gabin and stuff, you know, like what, what they did and how like they pushed the space forward and shaped it into something that we are in now. I think that's be curious because that is a lot of work, you know, like even I, you know, like trying like the crypto concept to crypto investors and what Kai is doing and like kind of like the challenges you're facing. I, I really do, didn't want to be in their shoes back then. And because it was such a revolutionizing idea. I think like this early, like anarchist crypto times, these were super cool times. And like, we have a lot of lot to thank to, to these guys. So to say, to make that, uh, to make, yeah, to to put us in the spot where we are in now. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Very well said. It's extremely difficult to build something that's never been built before. And really pioneer something from the ground up or from, you know, notepad plus plus, uh, a nice blank page. Uh, just Mm -hmm. amazing the work they've done to get us this far.
2: And it's, it's such a, if you think about it, such a revolutionizing idea that like, It's kind of like simple, like to be honest, like for a dev, like the way a blockchain works, it's nothing, that's not rocket science. It's not like magic. You know, I think I'm way more fascinated by like how chat GPT and all that stuff works, you know, than like how how blockchain works. But like the it just enables insane things, right? Which is like super, super crazy to think about what
1: kind of like we are up to for the next years. And what's even Um, more amazing is how blockchain, it's actually been around for like 20 years, before it finally found its use case that brought the world's eyes to it in Bitcoin. And then so many other ideas were inspired just from that. Like how did, like when it was first came out, like how did it take so long to become an overnight sensation? (laughs) That's true.
0: Love it. Well, Hey man, quick question for you. Last one. Uh, A lot of people are new to the crypto space. They probably listen into this. They're like, wow. That that was a lot. Um, what's one word of advice that you could give to somebody who, who's just breaking in? They might feel overwhelmed. They might feel lost that there's just
2: so much going
0: on. Um,
2: what do you say? Um, I would just say like, just just dive in. Just, just get started somewhere. And then from there on, kind of like everything will kind of like really like unravel, you know? Like mm-hmm. look into like the space where you are from, like your background. And think of like how blockchain might have helped you, you know, like Really try to think about like, don't think about like the application itself. I mean just think about like, oh, like suddenly you have the data storage that's like unchangeable. What would you do if you could save something forever and that would be unchangeable? For me, the first thing were the contracts, the signatures, right? That opened my mind. Like, oh, I can sign a contract and no one can ever say it didn't get signed in time. It got modified, whatever, you know? That's where like, oh, wow, like, you know, there's like one big use. Because I think everyone has that some you know if it's financially driven data driven someone always sees like oh there will be a cool use case for that
0: love it love it well man fabian thank you so much for your time today um if people want to check out kive where's the best place to point them to kive
2: network uh, it's our homepage. you guys can find everything and anything from there um from roadmap to our links to our socials to our web app um it's free to use you can play around if you're deaf we have super cool tooling out there um, to work with our data Kyve Network is the place to start Kyve.net K-Y-V-E Got to Kyve exactly. from Archive you made it a bit cool you know with the, with the yeah ride. it's trendy that's- <laughs> that's, that's where it <laughs>
0: good, good stuff alright well everybody who's listening at home uh, stay tuned because we're going to bring back some more guests later in the week